It's a conversation with the lone Democrat to vote no on the stopgap funding bill that helped us avoid a government shutdown over the weekend. And there's a Ukrainian connection here, too. Representative Mike Quigley represents parts of Chicago's north side and many north and northwest suburbs. He's also the co-chair of the Congressional Ukraine Caucus. And it wasn't what's in the bill that sparked him to diverge from his party. It's what's not in the bill. Congressman Quigley, welcome back. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I want to get right to it. Your no vote, it has to do with the lack of money in this funding bill for Ukraine. So tell us more about what you actually wanted to see included. Well, I I think there couldn't have been a worse message we sent to our allies, especially Ukraine, that spending bill unless we take Ukrainian funding out. Uh, uh, I think at the same time, it was uh, a good day for Putin. Who would have seen this as a victory for his strategy? Uh, Once they didn't win the war quickly, uh, Putin's strategy was to use his people as cannon fodder uh, and prolong the the war as long as possible. Because while it was gouging his economy and hurting his people, his objective was to uh, obtain Ukraine. So uh, if, if indeed we follow his strategy... We lose the will, and uh, we stop funding them. And and finally, it was totally unnecessary. When you looked at the final results of the vote, with the Republicans who voted for it and against it, if the measure was in there, it would have passed the House with virtually the same vote. Now we have a 45-day rush to clear up this mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said uh, after the bill passed... In a statement, you said this bill is a victory for Putin and Putin's sympathizers everywhere. Yeah, some of those uh, I serve with. Uh, we have Putin apologists. We have Putin, We have people who use his talking point. Uh, they don't support NATO. They want us to withdraw from NATO, as Trump threatened, uh, and they want us to defund the Ukrainian war effort. There's nothing that Putin wants more than those measures. And, you know, to them, I remind that this is, this is why we fought the Second World War. It's why we formed the United Nations and NATO. And it's the Ukrainians shedding blood uh, to fight for democracy across the world. The very least we could do is to provide them those resources uh, as well. I, look, I, I have to mention, too, I was in Bucha. I was in Ukraine and witnessed the results of the Russian atrocities. Uh, if we didn't do what we did so far, uh, those the magnitude of those would have been uh, horrific and not unlike uh, the atrocities of the Holocaust. Uh, I didn't spend the first half of my life getting it drilled in my head never again that I'm going to ignore it in the second half of my life. Help us understand, what specific funds or resources is Ukraine relying on from the U.S. right now, and how are they being used on the battlefield? Well, there's three main. There's economic resources to keep their economy going, which is critical. There's humanitarian resources uh, for obvious use, and and then there's just providing them the weaponry, the ammunition they need to kill Russians. You know, one of the more striking meetings I had as the war began and, the, you know, the maternity hospital was flattened uh, and mass graves were found. Uh, what members of the RADA said to me, their, their parliament, they all happened to be in this briefing, all women. One of them showed me a warning that her 
two-year-old child was under a missile attack. Uh, what they told us was, right now, weaponry is humanitarian aid. And the only way to keep their kids from being murdered uh, is to kill Russians. It's harsh, but uh, some wars are necessary, especially in the defense posture here, uh, to avoid the massacre that took place. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as the co-chair of the uh, Congressional Ukraine Caucus, you are up to speed on, on the latest on what's happening on the ground. What else can you tell us about the situation there? Well, look, uh, the counteroffensive is moving forward, uh, however slowly. And I think what we're addressing here is uh, unrealistic expectations to begin with. The Russians had an incredibly complicated, uh, multifold uh, defense posture put in place, uh, trenches, uh, mines uh, of an extraordinary level. And to advance against that, particularly without air, that the Allies didn't land in France on D-Day and then immediately sweep through the hedges across France, across the Rhine, and into uh, Berlin. There were a lot of setbacks or a lot of difficulties, um, and to expect that it would be any different under uh, one of the largest armies in the in the world is, is just wasn't looking at the reality of the situation. Yeah, after the vote Saturday night, Ukraine's foreign minister said, the lack of funding in the stopgap bill is not a sign that U.S. support for Ukraine is waning or, or weakening. What do you say to that? Uh, I hope he's right. <laughs> I think the fact that we had to do it is at least a kink in the armor. It shows that there's concerns. Let's go back a couple days before that. There was a standalone bill in the House to fund the Ukraine effort. And uh, every Democrat voted for it. It lost on the Republican side 117 to 102. That means a clean bill, just up or down on helping in the war. The Republicans voted against it. So that increases my pessimism. And by the way, that, that may have been the most quintessential vote expressing what we call the Reagan doctrine in my lifetime. The Reagan doctrine was said, we will at all costs help our allies mm-hmm. uh, push back against Soviet at the time aggression. What's a better example in our time than an all-out invasion and war? And the Republicans uh, voted against it. The the Reagan Republican Party is, uh, if not dead, more about So talk more about that. Why do you think it's in the national interest for the U.S.? I mean, you've you've said to that end, the fight in Ukraine is our fight. It is. Uh, Well, after the Second World War, we led the... Uh, task of forming a democratic liberal world order. And from time to time, we formed organizations to help toward that end, to maintain that. NATO, the United Nations, once removed, the EU, and others. Uh, so the, the reasons we formed those organizations and the reasons we formed the Second World War is, is this fight. Because if anyone doesn't think that, A, Beijing is watching with an eye toward Taiwan and other tyrants across the world are doing the same thing. They're mistaken. But Putin, I mean, Putin's intention, he thinks he's Peter the Great. 
His intention is to restore the once great Soviet empire in his mind. He told President Bush that Ukraine isn't even a country, which I suspect is how he justifies stealing babies and taking them into Russia. Um, so it's who we are as a country, but it's in our national interest also because he would he would take Ukraine, probably initially form a federation with Belarus, uh, and take part of Moldova immediately, all of it. The Baltics would be next, at least a bridge to, uh, you know, Russian territory near Poland. And all of a sudden, Poland is on the front line of all these. But the Baltics would be next, the Balkans. Uh, there, is, there is no end to his determination to do this. If there's a silver lining in this conflict, uh, it is that NATO woke up. President Biden deserves a lot of credit unifying them and keeping them unified. The tragedy of all this is that, uh, you know, we can't keep a Republican Party unified that you would think out of the box would be the first to support the effort. Congressman, what do you say to your constituents who, who rely on programs that would have been disrupted under a government shutdown uh, about the fact that you voted not to approve the temporary funding bill? Sure. It's a false premise. Uh, there was a clean bill that did all those things and funded the Ukraine uh, war in the Senate. It was ready for a cloture vote at one o'clock. And McCarthy started first, so they bailed on it. It's totally unnecessary. Uh, and as I said before, when the final vote was analyzed, we had the votes to do it. Someone had to step up and say, this is wrong. We can't do that. We can't tell our, our allies that, that this is the way we're going to function. We still had time to correct that mistake. Now, because we didn't do it then, we're in a 45-day rush. So uh, uh, someone had to step up. Someone had to send that message. And unfortunately, uh, we're in a situation where uh, we're looking back saying, well, we could have and we didn't. And uh, now we're going to pay the price. Yeah, it sounds like you're disappointed that every Democrat other than you voted to approve this bill. You know, when I think most of them, they're actually saying, look, funding for Ukraine is essential, but What's even more essential is to fund our own government. So how do you respond yeah, to that? My response, yeah, my response is, it's, again, it, it's, it's not accurate because we didn't have to go through this. We didn't have to do this exercise. Um, had we waited, had we gone and, you know, we let McCarthy roll us is the best way to describe it. And had I just said, okay, fine, and it would have been unanimous, there would have been no dissents on this raising the issue of the mistake that we just made. Hardline Republicans are upset with uh, House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy that, you know, he worked with Democrats to avert a shutdown. Representative Matt Gates of Florida says that he's going to call for a vote on whether McCarthy should actually remain speaker. What do you think? Matt Gates, uh, this is about his ego. This is about settling old feuds. This is about... Uh, anything but governing, and I would, I would say that Matt Gates and the MAGA extreme Republicans are a threat to our economy, uh, a threat to our democracy, a threat to our national security. So 
And he does this at a time when the pipeline of getting things done is full, and we're going to be wasting time at an effort which uh, I, I can't see succeeding. And even if they if they were successful to oust him, they don't have anybody to take his place. Nobody else wants the job who can get elected. So, uh, again, I, I think what we're seeing is a Republican Party that's become so dysfunctional, it actually affects every level of governance and our ability to defend our country. A few years ago, uh, National Security Advisor uh, Fiona Hill said that this polarization is a national security threat because the world watches us and we can't govern. Um, I would say that what makes that even worse is the far end of the pole to the right has pulled them off so far to the right with Trump's encouragement that 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 problem is even worse. So in a few minutes on this program, we're going to look at the, the latest on the migrant crisis here in Chicago. The federal government's taken steps to address it. As we know, it's provided funding to the city as well as work permits to half a million Venezuelans. What more do you think the federal government could do to address the issue? Like, Could something like increasing the cap on the number of asylum seekers help, for instance? Sure. Uh, I, I think that's part of it. I think they need to... Uh, the work permit sh- should have come sooner uh, in greater numbers and for all countries. Uh, every segment, sector of our economy is dying for new workers, uh, which affects inflation at the same time. And they need to expedite those work permits. Uh, I think each of these cities is going to need more resources than they're getting. Uh, And I I also think, you know, why are the migrants coming here in the first place? And it's a much, much longer answer than we have time for today. Um, How do we address the crisis in these home countries like Venezuela uh, to stem the tide of this, to to minimize the reasons that uh, migrants are leaving in the first place? Because obviously no one can blame them. Before we let you go, I mean, we've got 45 days until we need to do this all over again. That stopgap bill uh, to to fund the government, it's only lasting until mid-November. So what are you doing to make sure that funding for Ukraine is part of that package? I think what I did Saturday was, was an attempt to make sure people know how important it is. I get you have to continue to fund the government. This is my best way to send that sound that alarm. I also think is messaging and, and addressing the speaker. You know, Mr. Speaker, they're never going to love you. Quit courting the far right. They're, they don't want to fund the government. They don't want to govern. Give up on them. What you did in June was reach a compromise on the debt ceiling, which set the limits on all this. Again, we had a deal. And... If he wants to meet in the middle, we'll do that, and we'll all act responsible. Uh, uh, but it begins with him. If he wants to keep playing games and talk about impeachment inquiries during this vital time, we're gonna we're gonna be in the same boat in 45 days, and perhaps worse. We'll leave it there. We've been talking with Chicago Congressman Mike Quigley about the stopgap bill to keep the federal government open. As we discussed, it does not include funds for Ukraine. Congressman, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Anytime. Take care.